This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Grace Ho, Insight Editor for The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times that takes a hard look at social and political issues of the day. The term strawberry generation, or Zhu, was first coined in Taiwan for those born after 1981. Over time, the term has expanded to include pretty much any young person whom the older generation considers to be easily bruised, like a strawberry. Here to help me unpack the strawberries are Chu Han Yi, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute of Policy Studies, National University of Singapore, and Vincent Chua, Associate Professor at NUS's Department of Sociology and Anthropology. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Grace. Very glad to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting us. Oh, hi, and Vincent. I was born in 1982, so that makes me potentially one of the strawberries. We've also heard of youth being called by another term, snowflakes. When I think of strawberries and snowflakes, I think of something soft, which doesn't last very long. What are some of the common perceptions of them and their perceived characteristics? I'll go first. Uh, they've been labelled as entitled, lazy, narcissistic, needy, fragile, and easily bruised. So, hence the strawberries. They've also been called snowflakes because uh, they will melt if pressed uh, too hard and they are more easily offended than the generations that come before them. Uh, at the workplace, they've been accused of being unable to take adversity. They will job hop frequently. They don't take the criticism well and take things too personally. They're self-entitled to work-life balance and they demand better pay or benefits, but they're not willing to work for it. And that's, that's the short list. And Vincent, yourself? Yeah, I think uh, the labels tend to oversimplify, treat everyone as the same and typecast the youth. So we need a more nuanced and textured approach to the study of the youth generation. I mean, take resilience, for example. Right? People often say that youth lack resilience, but resilience is something that you develop over time. It's not just a trait, it's something you grow into. Now, one thing we find is that youth uh, become resilient when they are embedded in social networks of support. They have friends and family that hold them up. So people are seldom inherently resilient as if they were born with it. But we need one another and we acquire resilience as a collective over time. So it's actually much more dynamic than static and we shouldn't freeze or typecast our youth into a box. Yeah, Vincent, I, I couldn't agree more because when we look at the lifestyles of millennials, there are labels that are quite contradictory. You know, first of all, you know, people call them YOLO, you only live once, meaning that they will spend money to experience life on their own terms now. And then don't talk to the millennials about uh, saving for the future because you only live life once. And it's all about the here and now. And then we have marketers who say that they are now all about fire. So financial independence, retire early. Uh, millennials who embrace the uh, fire movement are set to live frugally and save aggressively so that they can retire early or have ample savings for when they want to pursue their own life aspirations like upgrading, upskilling, or being their own entrepreneur. So like what Vincent has shared, you know, all these labels can get quite confusing. So we both think it's not very useful to label an entire generation. 
because our research have found also amongst the millennials that's quite a lot of diversity. There are those who believe in YOLO and there are those who subscribe to FIRE. And definitely not everyone is a strawberry or a snowflake. Speaking of generalizations, I understand that you've been conducting a six-year study on 3,000 Singaporean youth. What are some of the key findings? And based on these findings, do you think that the perception of them as strawberries is, well, as you kind of alluded to, unjustified? Maybe um, we can talk about the key findings. So the study is called Youth Steps. And that is done in collaboration with the National Youth Council. Uh, Youth Steps itself stands for the study on transitions and evolving pathways in Singapore. And over the last couple of years, we've been following the lives of 3,000 youth as they transit from school to the workplace and as they form their own families. So in the latest wave, the top aspirations are being in good health being happy, having financial security, having time to do what they want, and also enjoying life to the fullest. Uh, we, we observe that these um, top aspirations are quite non-material in nature. So the material aspirations, like the five Cs of the earlier generations, are less important to the young people. And, and during the pandemic, uh, being in good health, understandably, was the most important aspirations. And I'm sure Vincent you know, has um, other findings that he's eager to share. Yeah, actually, uh, three uh, findings in particular I thought I would highlight. Uh, the first is that the youth want to see progression in their lives, get more education, find a job, uh, set up a family. And those that do so are actually happier. They score higher on life satisfaction. They are adulting, uh, transiting, moving from one phase to the next, and they are making progress. So the ability of youth to make transitions into adulthood is actually very important for their well-being. Now, second, we found that COVID did reduce life satisfaction, but adulting also poses a challenge. Yeah, And I think it's plain to see adulting requires work, commitments, starting a career, new demands by employers and so on, debt management, paying off a loan, forming new relationships and so on. So it's a big transition and these are growing pains. So we study COVID-19 against the canvas of adulting. And we see that COVID actually compounds the, the stresses of adulting itself. Now, the third finding is this. Sorry, Vincent, I thought I, was, yeah. I couldn't help myself, but just to share that, um, like what you observed, the, the pandemic was very bad for the mental well-being of the youth, more so than the other generations. In fact, I think uh, our data uh, tracks that their levels of anxieties did not subside as the pandemic uh, wore on. And I, I, I would just like to point out what you just shared about how they are making these big transitions during a time. So these big transitions are already stressful in and of themselves. And then you have the COVID, you know, adding on more stress. And I, I think that's why we see this uh, mental health pandemic uh, along with the COVID pandemic uh, co-occurring. Definitely agree. I think there is some kind of a layering that's going on. You have adulting to begin with is already quite challenging. And then in addition to that, you have then COVID-19 that happens and sort of layers upon you know, a particular stage of the life course that in this case, the youth will have to navigate. The, the third finding I thought I would highlight is that COVID didn't affect everyone the same and that some groups were hit harder by the pandemic itself, for example, the unemployed as well as the low SES groups. To use an analogy, uh, COVID-19 is like the rain that 
falls on everyone in a sense. But the lightning strikes seem to hone in on some groups in particular. And the reality is that it's an uneven situation, right? So the, the different groups are impacted differently uh, by COVID-19 itself. Right. Speaking of lightning strikes and an uneven situation, so based on these findings, do you think that the perception of them as strawberries is still justified? I, I think they've proven their mettle. I mean, uh, on the indicators of the research, such, such as uh, resilience, the ability to handle problems that come their way, uh, before the pandemic, 60% of the study participants said they were confident. But uh, during the pandemic, this fell to 55%, presumably because COVID-19 was wearing down their stock of willpower. Uh, but just last year, this indicator rebounded to 61%. We also invited the youth to share how their plans have changed during the pandemic. And a larger proportion, about one in three, uh, reported that their plans have changed for the better compared to one in four who said that their plans have changed for the worse. So, so um, the young Singaporeans told heart-wrenching stories of losing opportunities that they have been looking forward to, like graduation trips, getting jobs in the industries that they have trained for, and not being able to spend time uh, with their friends and family. But they also report that because of the adversities brought about by the pandemic, they were now uh, more driven to work, they've sharpened their goals, and they saved more. In fact, many many of them picked up new hobbies and skills, and, and quite a few said that they exercised more and, and have be become healthier. So the data is showing that as a group, they definitely did not melt away during the crisis. Vincent? Yeah, I agree with what Han has said. I think the perception is... Uh, not justified, you know. Um, it's it's not easy being young today. And in some ways, they have it harder given the social media environment that they are operating in. There's quite a bit of peer pressure, uh, distractions, social comparisons at a stage of life that already is difficult to navigate even without social media. So, you know, things have changed. Uh, labor markets have become more competitive the work has intensified. The pace of work has also accelerated. Uh, as we know, inflation is here. Housing seems less affordable. And school pressures have also uh, intensified. And of course, add to that the global and the local conditions uh, that then compounds the difficulties, uncertainties, anxieties, and so on. So there's just more of everything. And our youth are navigating uh, such a circumstance and such a condition uh, in our current times. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's continue the conversation with my guests. Vincent, um, you know, you speak of these challenging um, times and you know, as both of you pointed out, what makes this generation of Singapore youth unique is that they came of age during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm also wondering how much of this is a temporal thing. So, so let's say, you know, while people rallied around the flag during the crisis, is there a possibility that this sense of agency, you know, individual and collective responsibility of being able to kind of pull things together is going to pass after a period of time? In other words... What are our youth like? What happens when there isn't a crisis? Right. I, I think um, 
having weathered the crisis together, the shared experiences don't just disappear. It's like how the medical community in Singapore got stronger after the SARS uh, epidemic and even uh, further back in our history when we were forced into independence. So the grid that a generation acquires during a crisis, I don't think it just disappears. That resilience will rise again when a challenge uh, presents itself. I mean, for me, it's like the tongue-in-cheek response is that the older generation now cannot say that this generation of young people do not know how tough life is. They can't say like last time uh, during the COVID times, right? Because everybody went through the same crisis and the same hardship and weathered it together. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, is the, is the response temporary? And what if there were no crisis? But the reality is that there was a crisis and the youth... Uh, showed their metal by coalescing. So I'll say this, that when crisis happens, our youth will rise up as they have, right? So in fact, when COVID happened, uh, they rose to the occasion, uh, rallied together, and uh, you know, uh, got through together. So I, I don't think the, yeah, I think they would, I think they would rise to, to the occasion uh, in the event of a crisis and future crisis. So, so I think um, on the back of that, there is an opportunity to translate some of that rising, uh, rising to the occasion into more enduring action in Singapore. So, so many of our youth have volunteered during the pandemic to help with vulnerable groups, such as uh, the digital needs of the elderly or garnering support for hawkers. Now that the pandemic has abated a little, we have a good window of opportunity to amplify these uh, community efforts, to connect the engaged youth with the causes they are passionate about. So now is the time, I think, that we harness the youthful energies that the pandemic has unleashed to empower them to change the world. Speaking of harnessing youthful energies, we've all heard of Ford Singapore, the latest national exercise to strengthen Singapore's social compact. So what are the missing ingredients that will help more young people to answer this call to action beyond the pandemic? Um, there's uh, plenty of research out there, uh, including ours, that suggests that young people care about making a difference and contributing to make the world a better place. They're passionate about environmental stewardship and helping less privileged groups. So uh, we think some of the missing ingredients are, uh, one, reducing some of the cynicism that is all talk shop and dialogues. Sometimes it does begin with a talk um, but it, and, and sometimes it may take more than one chat session to find a course that matches what the youth want and can contribute to. But it starts from there and it can translate into action. So we got to give these uh, talk shops and engagement sessions and dialogues a chance to find the right opportunity. Uh, that said, we can also think about better matchmaking. So there are quite a lot of opportunities out there in Singapore to volunteer for various causes. The National Youth Council has thousands of opportunities for, for young people to volunteer for various causes, uh, such as uh, environmental conservation and helping the elderly. Uh, some of these causes are exactly what the youth are looking for. And, and the missing ingredient here might be how to match make the volunteers to the opportunities a little bit better. Right, and Vincent, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's important to, you know, first of all, to see the youth as an asset you know, rather than a liability. And actually, by the way, uh, strawberries are actually superfruits, a great source of antioxidants and that protect against uh, chronic diseases. So likewise, 
young ideas and innovations may be protective of our futures, and we should hear what youth have to say and be open to the solutions that they offer. The second, I, you know, I'm thinking we could have a sort of a tailoring kind of strategy where we make volunteerism bite-sized, tailored to areas to showcase a range of opportunities to match different interests, right? And it, it, it need not be a long commitment, uh, but rather uh, something that uh, youth can be involved in according to the areas that they are interested in. The third, I suppose, could be translation. Ideas should materialize, right? And they shouldn't just stay as ideas, uh, but actually be translated to uh, real-world solutions that youth can see that uh, make a difference. And the more these translations occur, youth would be more motivated to do more into the future. Co-creation would also be important, and we should have a culture of us welcoming collective action uh, as opposed to just prescribing a predetermined plan. So when we have all of these different strands working together, the way we see our youth organizing volunteerism in bite-size translation as well as co-creation, I think we have a powerful combination uh, for youth to uh, be coming together to do uh, things for society. Right. I, I like this whole idea of, you know, getting involved in something which is, you know, both of a manageable scale as well as which allows you to give your inputs. Now, I mean, obviously, the youth must want to be a part of this new social compact to be part of Singapore's next phase of development. But what can the government and perhaps their parents or even the community do to strengthen the bonds and the trust with the younger generation so that they actually do come on board? The uh, findings from the step studies will provide some clues on how the 4G leaders can strengthen uh, Singapore's social compact with the youth so, so first, some numbers. One in two, so half would trust the government to a large or very large extent. And if, if we include those who somewhat trust the government, it's about 90%. Uh, but that trust isn't always seen to be uh, fully reciprocated. So only a quarter of the youth uh, feels that the government trusts youth like themselves to a large or very large extent uh, back. So uh, And it's about 72% if we include those who think the uh, government trusts the youth uh, somewhat. So in short, uh, what the stats show is that most youth trust the government but are less sure about whether the government trusts them in return. So the analysis also uncovered a trust-enhancing uh, impact when the youth perceive that their trust is reciprocated. So for the youth who believe that the government also trusts them, they will trust the government more. So it's reciprocal. And this reciprocal trust is important for the youth of this uh, generation. Uh, certainly, to use the cliche, trust is a two-way street. You know, it's hard to trust without a history, right? So it's actually a relationship. It's dynamic. Uh, trust earned, trust given. So I think communication between the people and government would be very important, uh, P to G as well as G to P. So it evolves in that way. Uh, the channels are off, always open and you know the nation-building efforts then continue uh, with that kind of framework. 
uh, always in place. Yeah. So so maybe like uh, when we when we um, entrust the youth uh, with resources to champion their causes, then let's not helicopter around their activities because that doesn't demonstrate that we trust them, right? And and when we impose our silver hair or grey hair KPIs on their initiatives, that also won't demonstrate that we trust the young people. And the, the young people are not interested in our KPIs. And, and we really need to listen to their definitions of success for the causes they are passionate about. We need to, like what Vincent has shared, we need to have open conversations uh, with them and also talk about the mistakes when they are made and be authentic about not knowing all the answers. Uh, and, and these are some of the gestures that you value from their leaders. I think ultimately, uh, maintaining trust in the youth means also maintaining trust when the mistakes are made and keep faith that they are the ones who most want to make good on their own promises and that will help to build the reciprocal trust that we were talking about. And on that note of reciprocity, authenticity, two-way street, <laughs> communication and trust and collaboration, thank you, Honey and Vincent, for coming on our show. Thank you, Grace, for having us. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap for In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Grace Ho. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles or check out the opinion section of The Straits Times, we have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.